Hey, hey friends, Elizabeth, your friendly local Little Rock dog trainer here with another great episode with Dana Falsetta regarding puppies, particularly talking about her puppy Link. I wanted to get her perspective on what she did with Link and why and what she recommended for certain issues like crate training and dealing with the dreaded puppy fear periods and how to introduce your puppy to your cat. If you want some additional information along with how Dana became a dog trainer, be sure to check out her previous episode, which I linked in the description. Plus, classes start in about two weeks, and I still have two slots left for Wednesday Level 1, all four slots available for Saturday Puppy Kindergarten, one slot left for Saturday Level 1, and two slots left for Saturday Level 2. Everything else is full, which is awesome, but be sure to grab your spot soon if you want to join in the fun. My enrichment series has ended, so I'll be working on that blog post to get up and live, while in the meantime, next week is a year in review, or I guess later this week. It's pretty hard to believe that I've been able to throw myself into this work full-time during a pandemic, even if I have been working as a professional dog trainer since 2017. When I moved to Arkansas in the summer of 2018, I tried very hard to find someone to learn under and ended up trying a doggy daycare, then a dog bar, before I realized I could do it myself, so I did. My clients are the reason why, you're the reason why, and I really love having this educational component to my work. After the review, I'll have Cassie be back on to discuss training tools, and from there I've got so many great guests planned for more discussions about puppies and the focus for the September Telltale Dog Magazine, Kids and Dogs. Since Mommel recently repealed their breed-specific legislation, the biggest argument I've heard is, what about the children? So let's talk kids and dog safety. I'm not a parent, so I'm going to bring on some parents and bring on some knowledgeable folks. I've got a great lineup planned and I can't wait to get started. If there's any professionals or real life experienced folks that you'd like to hear from, send them my way and I'll take a look and see if they're a good fit. And now, let's get to Dana. Welcome back to Telltale Dog Podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And again, I have with me today, Dana Falsetta, the Behavior and Training Program Coordinator at the Animal Welfare Society's Behavior and Training Department. Dana is coming back on the podcast for another discussion on puppies, because last time we talked more about how she became a trainer instead of about um, a whole bunch on puppies. And I'm excited to have her back and to continue the discussion. Hi, Dana. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, Liz. I'm happy to be here. Um, much better weather weather this time than our last snowy outdoor here up in Maine. <laughs> so officially lobster season up here, which is wonderful. And my little puppy uh, is now seven months old. Awesome. So you basically brought home your own pandemic puppy in 2020. How I did. did. You, yeah. How did you meet him? Why did you do that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Actually, he's a great story. First of all, a little bit, I've been working with puppies. I think we probably talked about this the last time since the beginning of my career. It's the first thing I started doing. Uh, and then I worked, Nicole and I worked a lot on puppy development and developing curriculums that we then taught to other trainers. So I've been in like puppy world and immersed in puppies forever. Uh, so I never wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, they are, they seem like little uh, monsters, little velociraptors. I get it, plenty of people calling me crying in tears. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So difficult. Well, actually Link wasn't, but um, <laughs> yes. And since I teach them every week, I get my puppy filled. They're cute. They're fluffy. I get to play with them and then send them home. And I get to very, you know, 
from my safe uh, non-puppy household say, oh yes, yes, the house training will come and oh, don't worry about your bleeding arms. They will stop with the puppy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I didn't want one, um, but then when we had lost Fox and we were thinking, we weren't quite sure we had this opportunity for the first time of not having animals. Um, and then we got our cats. Uh, Facebook just reminded me that it was exactly a year ago that we got pistachio. Oh. We got kittens and I liked kittens. I've always liked raising kittens, um, but puppies, I thought I might have enough of. So we kind of started to think of, well, what kind of breeds would we want? And, you know, I had a, a student who uh, very thoughtfully bred um, English shepherds and hers were so beautiful and she, you know, very responsible, kind of wonderful. Uh, and I was thinking that that might be a great dog for us. We have almost three acres of land. As you know, I have some sheep that are coming up. Um, we'll probably have some other livestock. So a little English Shepherd might be nice. And we're like, well, maybe a puppy then, but probably not. We'll see just what comes through the shelter. There's probably a lovely adolescent or adult dog that we'll fall in love with. And then as we moved back into our house uh, in the beginning of November, a thing happened. We have this program, which I know we talked about a little bit last time for helping people get back on their feet um, who need temporary housing for their animals if they've lost their housing called our stay at home program. So this gentleman um, very quickly, uh, his building was condemned and he, he needed to find new housing. Uh, he had a female pit bull and a couple other pit bulls related and the female was pregnant. And, you know, we talked to him about, listen, your dog's going to give birth in the shelter. Are you prepared to come home with 15 dogs instead of three? <laughs> and, you know, or around that, I think there's a couple, it was probably not quite that bad. No, it was like 11 instead of three. Because we had a couple others at the time, but they were um, other people in the building's dogs. And he's like, no, you know, I think it'd be better if you guys kept and adopted out the puppies. So we actually did spay and neuter his dogs, but we had the mom and dad of this litter at the shelter that I worked with um, until she gave birth. And then I got to help with the plan um, with my wonderful coworkers. Not many of us had experience in raising a litter, but I'd done a bunch of reading and I worked with puppies forever, although they're over eight weeks. So we did the best we could at, at giving them all of the early mental stimulation and touching and Thing and working with mom and working with babies. And I took two of them home to foster to decide which out of the, there were eight puppies. And I chose the two that I wanted to take home. And that was it. Their mom stopped feeding them and was not super interested at five weeks. And since we only, we have kennels and they have backs and fronts, so they're, they're big enough, but we really couldn't separate her as much as she wanted to be separated or give her a little bit of a break. Um, so she stopped feeding them. Um, so we had a plan and I prepared all like big packet of information for four foster families, including myself, um, to take each take two puppies uh, until for three weeks until they were eight weeks old for the males to get neutered and then go and then I think they were 10 or 13 weeks old, 13 weeks, I think, for the females to then go. Yeah, so that's how I chose Link, was I wanted the puppy that was right in the middle of the, of the crew of like some energy, 
friendly, not a ton of energy, um, not shy and hiding, not super bitey. And then the other one I took home, my sister ended up adopting. She was the runt of the litter. She was very sweet. Uh, but once we got her home, we realized she had a lot of energy. Yeah. <laughs> more than what she showed when she was with all eight puppies. So uh, we're like, whoa, whoa, okay. I think we're going to take the like easier going of these two. (laughs) But my sister really loved her and she is a fantastic dog and they're doing really well with her. So that's how I got Link is because his parents ended up at the shelter for a short stay. And it was a really cool learning experience to see these puppies develop each at each stage and what to do with them. And it was a lot of reading. (laughs) I think it's puppy culture. There it is. Yeah. Puppy culture. That's the gold standard for all of like puppy raising and what you should be doing with them and exposing them to and not, and all of those things. And we really tried to do the best we could with them um, in the shelter. They got handled a lot by not too many people, but enough different people that knew what they were doing and then they went into foster and the foster I'd you know I'd given program materials of like at this age you're going to feed them this so I worked with our veterinary team to know what their medical bullet points were and when to call the vet if something was abnormal there and then what the behavioral bullet points would be and when are you going to start teaching them things and developing habits and you can develop habits pretty early but your expectations can't be like, I'm teaching this five-week-old puppy to sit operantly and on cue. You can, but I think your expectation of a five-week-old puppy needs to be very different of teaching it to an eight-week-old puppy or teaching it to a 14-week-old puppy. So we just kind of slowly work. For me, I brought those two puppies back and forth to work with me a few days a week. Um, so they really weren't alone, but they were crated overnight by themselves. We didn't really start house training until they were eight weeks. So I didn't worry too much about that. We used some pads and we tried to like get them used to having an area to go in. It was also December (laughs) in Maine. So you couldn't really do textures either because that's a big thing of if a puppy never sees grass, it's hard for them to go potty in the grass, you know? Right. So we had snow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, you know, that's kind of where we started was just slowly exposing them to new people safely. We didn't, we had people come in, bend down, let the puppies come to them. We didn't let anybody just scoop them up. We tried to make life experiences normal, but also not extra scary. So we really did manage um, how people interacted with the two foster puppies we had. And then I continued to do that with Link once my sister took her puppy. And the other thing, we really managed was his interaction with other dogs. So I super, I was very careful of introducing him. And in fact, only introduced him to dogs who were older and stable for the first several weeks before, I think he was probably 12 to 16 weeks old before I let him meet other puppies of his age. So I wanted him to have some good behaviors under his belt before we went off to meet other puppies. Uh, Wrecking balls really is what it is. So you want him to be able to sniff and give breaks and you know, all that. I wanted him to like know what other dogs were like before knowing what puppies were like. And it's really paid off. So, I mean, we're a little bit lucky that he, he's seven months old, this could still change. Um, But he does seem to really prefer the company of other dogs and 
will give them space when he they ask for it. He's great with puppies. He is he does play rough, but in a way that can be easily um, redirected. Uh, and he usually matches the level of the dogs that he's playing with. But we really systematically exposed him to other dogs in certain situations and monitored closely the play behaviors, uh, gave breaks when they wouldn't take them themselves. Because playing with his sister as a litter mate, they weren't good play behaviors. So they would get each other really riled. They get snarky with each other and there was no like off switch. I can't remember if we talked about this last time, but having litter mates together or two puppies that are the same age and raising them at the same time can be really detrimental to their socialization and growth. So, and I saw that firsthand as soon as they were eight weeks old and we could separate them, their behavior got much better. So yeah, because there's no regulatory system with puppies like that, right? They're just going to spin out behaviorally. Yeah, they're going to feed off of each other and become a unit. So uh, because they are species together and humans are separate species, so they're going to find their like what's closest to them, the next dog. And they're going to like twins, you know, they're going to form their little social unit and they're going to have their own rules within them. And then the humans are outside of that instead of having an older dog who has already bonded with people who can show the younger dog how to bond with people and, and be a good example of what the rules are of how to live with humans. It's much harder for litter mates to learn that because they'll make up their own rules. For us, or, and this is anecdotal, there's not really any case studies that are scientifically done on this. So I always get a little nervous when that's the case. But anecdotally, this is what I've noticed and other trainers have noticed enough to, to write about it, of what, what can happen. And of course, it always depends on the environment. So what I'm learning a little bit more right now with the, I have a significant amount of clients that have litter mates that have issues of different ages and different breeds, but what it is, is it can be done, but you have to put a lot more work in that you're raising each dog individually and together at the same time, where I think your average person who gets two puppies because they want their puppies to have friends and, you know, what's two if you already have one, seems like it would make sense. Don't realize until it's too late that they've formed this kind of glue bond and are are codependent and it's much more difficult to put some independence in after they are a codependent unit versus starting out from the beginning of teaching independence and then letting them have more and more time together. Because they're really not going to have much use for a human coming in and being like, all right, time to learn sit guys. You know, they've kind of. Or they'll get really nervous if they're, you know, they can't see their other partner and it's hard. They don't know how to be left alone as easy. We see higher cases of separation anxiety in these dogs, more likely to have a us against the world kind of view when they meet other animals. Even if individually they might be friendly, if they're together, they're going to have a harder time. So yeah, so I noticed that firsthand um, with those two things that Link tried back then. Uh, Some resource guarding around high value food items has never come up again with us or with other dogs. So things he wasn't able to share with his sister, he is able to share with any other dog and, and us. So that was really interesting. And then going through, again, things we talk about all the time, but firsthand experiencing what a real fear period looks like and a change of personality. 
So let's let's pause for just one second. I wanted to touch on the eight weeks because you, you keep bringing that up and how he needed to be with his sister until then. And I wanted to touch on that because it's not uncommon in this area for people to say, I have a puppy. And when I ask about the age, it's like, oh, they're nine weeks, but I've had them for four weeks or they're six weeks old. So it is not uncommon in Arkansas for breeders to send home puppies well before they should be just because they're weaned. And I'm not sure if they're even officially weaned at that age, but often um, I'm seeing people get dogs at five to six weeks. So I'd love to hear from you on why eight weeks is so important and why in a lot of states there is a standard that puppies can't leave their mom until eight weeks old. Yeah, I don't know if there's a a state standard, but usually breeders will. Again, not super my area. I'm sure other people would be able to answer this better than I can. It is what is recommended. Again, puppy culture is what I was following and looking at that. They have done the research um, as looking at, uh, you know, behaviorally and medically what puppies get from their moms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's what is happening by the time they're eight weeks old is they're exploring on their own. They're going to start forming social structures outside of their litter uh, more easily. They're not dependent on their mother for food or guidance anymore. Not really. The mother's over it at that point mm-hmm. and going to be a little bit more encouraging the puppies to go off on their own. I did mention that the Lynx mom was pretty toast and wasn't feeding those puppies as much around five weeks as when we started giving them alternate food sources. So even though the the puppies were weaned at five weeks old, Link was, uh, we sent them into foster with a sibling so they could still have some social interaction and pairing um, and not have singleton puppy behaviors, which is what happens. And then they are under socialized. So staying with the whole litter can be a little overwhelming when all the dogs are already weaned and the mom's not giving any guidance. But pairing them off gives them a little bit of a better chance. And then we can see them start to reach. It's like the next development level is happens usually around eight weeks old, which is um, their sensitive social period where they're really um, information that they are gathering from their senses and exploring the world is making more of a direct connection to the amygdala in their brain. So uh, it'll become part of their instinctual responses, which is why at eight weeks, eight to 12, eight to 14 weeks, we really wanna make sure that their new experiences with everything are very positive. They are being encouraged that learning in general is not scary, that learning is fun for everything. Objects and change is no big deal. People of all shapes, sizes, colors, uniforms are all um, explored uh, in a positive way, but mostly like the things that they'll encounter on a daily basis uh, and live with are a big deal. Uh, Not having to go overly socializing and and trying to like force your puppy into unnatural situations just to have a positive experience is a little overboard, but making sure that the daily routines they're going to be facing are positive and, and fun and something that's not scary. And then after that, you start to see maybe the first fear period, which is when things might be a little scary or things that were not scary before all of a sudden are, and they might be more hesitant to interact with things. And this is another time where really the amygdala is in overdrive and we are 
wanting to go slow. And just because he wasn't scared of guys in hats last week, this week he is. So we take that as it comes and make sure we socialize him appropriately to that as he gets through it. There are two, um, it, it sometimes happens again in adolescence around seven to nine months old. First one is like six to seven. The first one more like um, 14 weeks to 16 weeks, 12 weeks to 16 weeks. It's kind of like a aperture that's not really a, uh, it happens from this time to this time. There's also, there is more case studies going along with that now too, that is about different breeds or different individuals do have its different timeline. They reach full adulthood or maturation different too, because we'll typically say like two, two and a half, but sometimes it's three, three and a half, depending on the breed. And, and yep. And, and the individual, um, that's, those are studies that are coming out a little bit more now too. And, you know, there's a difference between full physical maturity and behavioral maturity. And yes. So after adolescence, but before social maturity, we call it the transitional phase. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you know, Link's an adolescent now and mm-hmm. seems that his most spookiness of barking at anything that's new is gone. But we do have some of what I think are his actual personality traits to be wary of things that have changed in the environment. So from the fear period where it was everything, now it's only something. So a little bit of that behavior did stay. I'm interested to see if it stays post-adolescence or if we keep working on it, it goes away, or if that's kind of a little bit of who he is and um, it's just kind of managed at a, at a low level where most of it is gone and it's not so not such a big reaction to every new thing. I remember exactly when I noticed he was in his fear period, we were walking down the stairs and he turned the corner and he didn't realize I had stacked the couch cushions differently. <laughs> And he froze and got all his little puffy fur up and, uh, you know, stood still and just like got on a big bark mm-hmm. and was staring and couldn't get over it. And then from there, it was pretty much everything that looked a little different in every new person. But that's, uh, that's definitely slowed down and now it's only just a few situations. And those, those behaviors are common too, for people to say things like, well, my dog has obviously been abused because of this behavior. And that, that's not always the case, but what are some ways that people can work with their dog when all of a sudden their dog's freaking out because (laughs) the couch cushions changed a little bit? So uh, first thing is to get space. So I recently had kind of recently within the last year attended a lecture about um, neurobiology and aggression. And one of the coolest takeaways from that was physical space equates to space of processing time between neurons in the brain. So if things are happening too close, your brain doesn't have time to process of this is or is not a threat or what's happening. So specifically when um, an aggressive or overreaction is likely, give your dog more space and that more space will give them more time for their brain to process the environment, the situation and the potential or perceived threat. So that's the first thing. If your dog is just having a reaction and you're like, guy, it's a plastic bag. It's not going to hurt you. Um, or it's somebody and they're far away. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to your, your dog is perceiving a threat. So it's not up to us to say it shouldn't be a threat. <laughs> it's just us, up to us to help deal with the situation as it's happening and prevent it in the future. 
So the first thing is your dogs in that moment, give them some space. Um, if you've done some training in redirection with a different cue, they already know like find it or touch or look or making a U-turn on a walk. But if you really had to, you might just pick up your dog and, and physically move them away to give some space. Uh, then if it's an inanimate object that is safe, I might start to um, walk them closer. It depends on their level of reaction. I taught Link a cue for go check it out. So if I tell him to check it out, it means, hey buddy, it's safe. I know you don't think it is, but I'm gonna tell you it's okay. And I'm gonna give you space and time to approach it on your own as needed. So this happened two days ago. We put a, he's never seen a standing fan moving before. And I put one in the living room and well, he didn't bark at it or do anything. He definitely was a little spooked and put his head down and crouched and kind of stuck his nose out. And I said, no, it's okay, bud. You can go check it out. And he like tiptoed over and then he checked it out and he sniffed it. And I um, told him it was okay. And it was a good boy. I didn't give him treats for that one because he wasn't particularly spooked. I don't think you always have to if you've already set up a protocol for what to do. And then he was like, okay, now this is a fan that lives here. And it was over and done with. And we do this, we did it a lot with signposts. Um, he did knock over a sign as a baby puppy, his leash wrapped around it and it came down and made a loud noise. And that took us quite a long time to revisit that signposts were okay and that we had to check them out and it was fine. Uh, and that was something that was previously okay. He had a negative experience with it and we had to work really hard to reverse that. And I think that's a good example too of a, of a reminder that you can have a wonderful little puppy, like Link is a great little puppy, but he has some things that you need to work with him on. Always, yeah. And I know, yes, he is a pandemic puppy, <laughs> but I do have the luxury of going into work and work with other people and work with other people and their dogs and be around other. So he didn't lack in any socialization or car rides, being left alone, not socializing with other dogs, like all of those things that a lot of people have experienced in the last year of bringing puppies home and are starting to see the fallout from. It, just, it didn't happen for us because our lives in that way were unchanged. Mm -hmm. I guess the only thing is he was used to people wearing masks from the beginning. Yeah, instead of that transition in the middle of puppyhood, you know, no yeah. masks. And then, yeah. Mask, no masks, or all of a sudden we're at left the house and see masks and that kind of a thing. Do you have, did you have like a set schedule for him? Did you have a specific routine that you took him through? I mean, just our, we kind of made sure that we modified our daily routine, but he was still kind of on our time. So on days that my husband was home, the puppies were home with him. If it was a day that we both went into work, the puppies came to work with me and then just Link came to work with me. We still do that. We probably didn't leave them alone, alone for more than half an hour until they were eight weeks old and separated. And then we started leaving Link a little bit here and there to run to the grocery store here and there. So um, we've left him alone up to seven hours at this point, but we didn't really have a specific routine for leaving him alone. We just wanted to remember it was important. So we would do that. Meal times came about the same time, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and now just breakfast and dinner around the same hour-ish. And that was pretty much the only routine. Right now we have the same routine as usual. Our, you know, we wake up, you go to the bathroom, you eat breakfast, or sometimes you eat breakfast, then go to the bathroom, and then we play with you, and then you settle either in the car or at work or you know, while Mario's doing other things. 
take a few walks in the middle of the day. Some are just short potty walks. Some are a little bit longer. If he's at work with me, he usually gets to play with another dog at one point during the day. We go to training class. So that's another thing. I am a dog trainer. I take my dog to training class that I do not teach. <laughs> uh, I think it's important. So even though he knew a lot of the behaviors and still does that we're learning in class for him to do it around other people, other dogs and in new environments and exercises that are different that I didn't come up with, I think is important. So that we started pretty much as soon as he was old enough and ready. So he was about nine, 10 weeks old, started group classes. And that's just been ongoing for you to take group classes? Yeah, we usually take like a little time off and then start again and then time off and start again. And with me, I just kind of fit into if we have a lot um, lapse of students in a class, then we'll link will fill in and it's nice. It's almost like having a plant in class. So when I work with one of my coworkers and they're teaching and they want to demonstrate something, they know that they can use him to to show it off or use us to show it off. We had a cool situation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one student in class had a large dog who was very excited and she was just struggling and I wanted to make sure she was getting the concepts and so did um, my coworker who was teaching the class. So we actually switched dogs mm. because I knew I could handle her dog and he would get to get the learning in that he needed and I wanted her to feel successful and the teacher wanted her to feel successful. So we did the exercise where we swapped dogs so she could really understand the mechanics of it and then get to practice on her own dog after that. So that was it's it's been really neat to have that kind of dog in class now too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned last time and you talked about it a little bit this time too, that socialization is more than just playing, but more positive experiences. And it sounded like you've, you've done a lot of that with Link um, without overwhelming him. And I did, I did appreciate that you mentioned that too. It wasn't like, all right, we've got a list of a hundred things. We got to knock them all out. It was like, okay, what comes up? How do we make this positive? Yeah. So it is, it's more, you know, we already talked a little bit about we were really careful about rolling out which dogs he was playing with first because he was pretty scared. So for for playtime socialization or socializing to other dogs, he I had a student I knew who was perfect. She was so neutral, perfectly neutral and amazing. So when I introduced, she's a three-year-old husky. I know, I just said it's a neutral <laughs> dog and she's a husky. I know, but she's wonderful. She has her times where she's very... Um, energetic as well, but she's fantastic. They also had a younger Husky who's only like five months older than Link, a little less, actually a little less. Zoe's about to be a year uh, in July. So we, uh, they came over, we had a quiet environment. We had Link approach uh, at his own pace and the dog was perfect. She just like sat there. Mm-hmm. She came up to see if he was interested. He ran back into our lap and peed. Uh, so we just went really slow. The next time he met her, he was trying to get her to play a little bit. And, uh, so then we started to bring in the younger one who was a little bit energetic. And then we started to just expand his circle. My coworker has a really easygoing pug. So we started there and introduced more other ends of the spectrum of, uh, ambivalent and excited and less dog savvy to the point where last week at the shelter, Our volunteers were working with some of our puppies who were not great with other dogs and they were barking at every dog that passed that wasn't within their litter. And so they took Link and I supervised him a little bit, but they really had it um, nailed. 
and we introduced one puppy at a time to him and they were nervous, but he was great and giving them space, moving back when they needed it, but still trying to solicit play the whole time. So it was cool to see what we had worked on with him as a small puppy that now he was able to do for other puppies. Yeah, that's awesome. a magic window that we just have right now as adolescents, you know, he's not socially mature. I don't know what his final place on the sociability spectrum is going to be, but mm-hmm. we're working pretty hard to keep him, you know, social and tolerant. And I, I do appreciate that you brought that up. One thing I've noticed and heard from people is that everybody wants their dog to be cool with every other dog. And that's not always realistic or even possible. I tell people like, aren't there people you want to punch in the face? Like your your dogs have similar ideas. Yeah. There's no being on earth that is going to be totally this behavior, behaviorally the same in every situation with every different species and every different personality type. It's just not going to happen. So we try to just make them as resilient as possible and that they're learning appropriate social cues. So if you find that your dog grows up and is like, you know what, dogs are okay, but at a distance um, and they're not really keen on hanging out with other dogs, as long as you did the work in the beginning, they should have the skills to give appropriate corrections and signals to say, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then as long as we respect those, then they stay in place and you have a very appropriate dog, even if they don't like hanging out with other dogs. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a big difference between dog friendly and wants to hang out and do all of the things and is cool with dogs and aggressive where they are, their first reaction is to bite or really launch at another dog for getting into their space. There's a a big window between there that is appropriate as people and their, you know, owners, handlers, we need to recognize when they're giving signals of, I don't, I'm not into this. I'm going to tell you very politely. And I'm going to tell you that I'm not into this without anybody getting hurt, but you need to be able to read and respect that uh, and know that it's changing. And then, you know, if you see a big swing in behavior where your dog was always okay with this situation and this group of dogs or this group of people and all of a sudden they're not that should be a signal that something's going on because behavior is just information right your dog's not trying to be a jerk they're trying to tell you something (laughs) it's just information and it behavior changes depending on the environment and that's kind of just how it goes but you were asking originally about socialization to other things and I know you mentioned the cats to me earlier Uh, the cats socialized on their own For me, I personally find it easier to have the cats first and the dogs second, always providing a very safe space for the cats to be able to do natural cat things, get away, have their own spaces, not forcing any interactions. So our puppies were so small and the cats uh, came right into their room and watched them from a perch. Uh, The first few nights, they wouldn't leave them. They actually really just watched them, made sure they were okay, which is pretty Uh fun. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, they, they interacted on their own terms. So we kept the puppies contained and let the cats come and go. The puppies would chase them. They'd turn around, hit the puppies politely. They had already worked out some socialization kinks on their own with each other, learning as kittens to get along. It just happened to work out that my cats were good teachers not all cats are, but mine appropriately interacted and appropriately corrected and didn't overcorrect the puppies for just existing. And they didn't 
shy away from things that weren't scary. So they did, a. Uh, my cats are very well socialized. So that helped, which was kind of just born of circumstance. Uh, I would like to say that I put a lot of effort in on my own, which I did, but we uh, had some interesting living circumstances at the time they were kittens. So that helped as well. So, and we monitored the link specifically and his, uh, my sister's dog uh, also lives with cats. So we've monitored them for any predatory behavior which they never showed. So we were comfortable keep to keep pursuing, but it is something that we are always aware of and monitor. Is there any stalking, any predatory, any stiffness towards the cats? And there isn't. Um, so we kind of let them socialize on their own and they do play and have each cat has a different relationship with the dog. So that's really fun. Just like any other animals, we, if they're not giving each other space, we make sure we do that. And then we had to socialize to new objects and new textures, rides in the car, which we started slowly and in a crate. And then we set up rules in the car as he got bigger and got more comfortable. The crate went away and he got a bed there. Socializing to being left alone. You know, our we live in rural means. So uh, having our neighbors see at a distance was was important. We have a lot of animal sounds. So just you know, if he alerted to something, telling him that we understood and that it was okay, providing treats when we needed to. We did plenty of treating if he was nervous or in a new situation, but otherwise I really like in a new environment, did his training cues with him. So he had something comfortable to do, something positive to do in a new place. Uh, and then he was a little bit more engaged in that space as well. And then we're careful with dog socialization that we were really mindful of who we let him interact with when so it wasn't like every puppy on the street were like go say hi it was hey we're in training right now you can see them from a distance we're going to do our little treats see a puppy get a treat and walk away we did a lot of seeing dogs and not interacting with them before seeing dogs and interacting with them to make sure we were managing frustration levels and that goes a long way towards um, reducing reactivity which is can be a huge issue if you know people wanting their dogs to meet every dog on leash and then the dog gets so excited seeing every dog on leash and then it becomes a big issue as they get older yeah it's a big deal that's a real big starter for reactivity so we work really hard to manage his frustration levels he gets a lot of exercise we've done a lot of work around toys and using toys as reinforcers and having uh, a lot of downtime too on for him to work it out on his own this has been Telltale Dogs Podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, a certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas, and my guest today, Dana Falsetta. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of 7 Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify, and stick around for after the music for some final advice from Dana. Dana, puppies are frustrating. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> there are so many, even if you've got the nicest puppy, there's going to be a moment where you're just so frustrated. Absolutely. What are some of your recommendations or advice for folks who want to throw their puppy out of a window in those moments? So much wine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> remembering to take a breath and having a safe place for your puppy to settle by themselves. I cannot stress that enough. Even if you are not crate training your puppy, having a safe area where they're not going to harm themselves or harm your house 
frozen Kong in the freezer, ready to go, as they are drawing blood from your calves as you're walking them towards their safe place, taking that moment of trying to just keep it together, putting them in their safe place, turning some music on, putting a Kong or Chewy safe chew item in there, and walking away, taking a walk around the block. That'll help the puppy learn how to settle on its own anyway. But it's okay. One realizing that you're frustrated and it's also okay to be frustrated with your puppy or have whatever thoughts are going through your head because there are a lot of them it's okay to go go out to dinner because we can do that now (laughs) go out to dinner go take a walk around the block I would always tease I said put your puppy in the crate with their Kong and go have a glass of wine on the porch like it's okay have that separation have everybody cool down your puppy is probably going to crash anyway let them sleep it off and then have a good activity that as soon as you're ready to get them again, offer a toy, go for a walk, have a couple treats as a training session and uh, start over. Do you recommend, so sometimes puppies will whine or cry if left alone. Is there a certain amount of time that you should let them cry it out? Is crying it out not recommended with puppies? Do you have some thoughts on that? It depends on the intensity. I know I just gave the dog tranquilizer. It depends. (laughs) It depends on your puppy, their personality, their history with being left alone. I would say at the beginning, giving them a few minutes, always leaving them with something to occupy them, making sure they're occupied before you leave so that the act of you leaving is not too traumatic. That's usually the harder part than the being alone part. So if they're really in distress, you really see that they are drooling, panting, they've gone to the bathroom, they're screaming, they're having trouble catching their breath, like that's distress. You do not want your puppy to be in that for any length of time. If they're whining and crying a little bit and it's kind of soft and they're doing it intermittently, I would say, you know, a few minutes are, are, is okay to see if they settle. If it goes on for longer than five or 10 minutes, maybe you need to kind of inter- intervene and do some shorter, more successful sessions with them being left alone. 